I'm Dave Johnson, voice of the Washington Wizards and host of the Wizards Podcast Network's Full Court Press. And listen up, Junior Wizards. Stuck at home but want to know ways you can still play basketball? Did you know that the Washington Wizards have a page full of helpful videos just for you? Don't let being inside stop you from crafting your skill. Check out all the Junior Wizards instructional videos and tips to develop your skills while home, in the driveway, or in your backyard at dcfamily.com slash at home. Wizards fans, welcome to another episode of the Off the Bench podcast presented by the Alibaba Group. I'm your host, Jackson Filio. Off the Bench is one of three podcasts on the Wizards Podcast Network, which also includes Full Court Press, hosted by the Wizards Radio Party of Dave Johnson, Glenn Consor, and Brian Alden, and the Wizards Global Podcast, hosted by Zach Akuma. Recent episodes on the Wizards Podcast Network include conversations with former Bulls player and current radio broadcaster Bill Wennington, former Washington Bullet, Tom McMillan, and a crossover episode between Off the Bench and Full Court Press. All podcasts on the Wizards Podcast Network are available wherever you get your podcasts and will continue to be featured on Wizards Radio 24-7 and the Wizards app. You can follow the Wizards Podcast Network on Twitter, at WashWizardsPN, and please subscribe, download, rate, and review wherever you listen. On today's episode of Off the Bench, Chris Gehring and I are joined by Daryl Walker, who played four seasons with the Bullets as part of a 10-year NBA career that ended with a championship with the Chicago Bulls in 1993. He's now head coach at Arkansas Little Rock and was named 2020 Sunbelt Coach of the Year after a regular season conference title. Walker shares his thoughts on playing against young MJ, the importance of the last dance, his experience on a Bulls title team, and his time coaching in college. All right, Daryl, thank you so much for joining us. We obviously want to spend a little time talking about MJ and your experiences with and around him. You entered the league one year before him. Um, You guys got to, you know, play against each other. And then in the final year of your career, um, you joined his Bulls team and and ended up winning a championship. So I think you have a really unique voice when it comes to this stuff. What are your earliest memories of Michael Jordan in the league? Um, MJ was an electric player when he first got in the league as a rookie. You would, you would watch the highlights uh, after your game when you get home, stand up like, like most basketball players do. And, uh, you know, he was an electric player from the beginning. Uh, his quickness is, is not talked about. He was cat quick. Uh, he, he elevated. And nobody talks about that. He could really flat out elevate. I think that got lost in later in his years when he kind of uh, went to the fadeaway jumper a lot. But, I'm telling you, he was, he, he was a top-tier athlete. He has uh, really, really, really quick hands and quick feet, quick first step. Uh, his elevation was at, is at the top of the level on a scale of 1 to 10. It was a 10. And then the most important thing, he was a competitor. He, he competed his rookie year. He wasn't afraid. He came in the league not afraid and, and ready to go. And something about him, too, that I think maybe – People of, of our generation who weren't – we weren't around for the peak of his powers, so to speak. Watching this series, we're, we're learning kind of how he, he still had to kind of develop all of those things. He had to play against different uh, – you know, a different generation of player and adjust and get stronger and, you know, learn all of these things to build around that killer instinct and obviously incredible individual talent. But did you kind of observe that growth – throughout his time in the league and um, what, what kind of got him to that level where both as a player 
a, a basketball player, a leader that he just he he reached another level that almost no players ever reached before. No, obviously it was it was his team when he first came with the Chicago Bulls after the first first two or three weeks of practice. Everybody knew he was the best player in the gym, and guys eventually started gravitating toward his way. Uh, but now people watching the Last Dance, they they have a chance to see uh, how really good MJ was. The generation it's like the guys I coach in college here. You know, they don't know. They really don't know how good MJ was. Now they get to sit back for two hours every night on Sunday and really take a look at like, oh, my goodness, this guy was doing some incredible things on the court. So uh, this last dance has been good. First of all, it's been good for everybody that's been cooped up in the house with C-19. You get something to watch on Sundays, look something to look forward to. But then the next the, the, the younger generation of people get to see Michael's talents and how good he was. Yeah, no doubt. I think we we fall into that category where we've heard so much about it, and there, you, you can watch all the um, NBA TV hardwood classic games that he was in. But you know, until you hear these stories and get the curtain peeled back a little bit, it's just it's a completely different experience. And they've done such a good job. I think it's you know it's fun as somebody that wasn't exposed to it the first time around to even see the people that were being like, oh wow, I didn't know that, or oh this right. is another look, or this is, takes it to another level where we haven't even seen before. Are there things that you've seen in the documentary yet that make you go, oh, wow, even even I didn't know that. No, no, I mean, the Dennis Rodman story going to Vegas was really hilarious. Uh, that, <laughs> that was funny. I knew about all the Jerry Krause stuff because I was there. Uh, but to just sit there and watch it, and, I, you know, I, I played played against Michael and, and played with him and, and worked for him, and to sit there at home on, on Sundays and watch some of the things that he did in games, the quickness, the elevation, the speed, uh, the will to win, I, I just sit back and go, wow. Uh, this kid, this guy is really, really uh, one of the great players of all time. Yeah, and just to be a little bit more specific for listeners that don't know, it was during the 92-93 season. You were uh, you were waived by the Pistons in November, and then, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was... Yeah, I was waived, I was waived in, like, I think in, no, in November and got a call from Jerry Krause about a 10-day contract. I said, hey, of course I'll take a 10-day contract from you guys, and it turned into another 10-day contract and then wind up signing for the season. So it was a great ride for me. Yeah. No, and what was that like? I mean, jumping in, like, right in the middle of it. They've obviously established something, and they have a very uh, unique and successful way of doing it. What was it like to kind of correlate your own approach and, and just, you know? Oh, I, 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 came, I came in. I probably would, you know, play a lot of minutes. Sometimes I would play a few minutes. Sometimes I'd play more than a few minutes. So – uh, I just came in wanting to fit in because I was just I just got released. Uh, I just wanted to be a veteran guy on the bench, a guy that worked hard in practice and got in the, and kept myself ready when Phil called me to get in the game and, and and contribute to the basketball team. So it was it was a fun ride for me. Uh, it was unique to to form a friendship with MJ. You know, when you're on the road a lot, you hang out a lot. It was it was, it was great to form a, a friendship with him that carried over to today. So uh, it was it was it was great. If you're gonna get if you're gonna get if you're gonna get released, it's great to get picked up by a team like that. <laughs> There's no question about that. And, and we did a little bit of digging, too, about your playing career as a whole. You're, you're one of only 11 players to average eight rebounds and eight assists over the course of a season. And you talk about joining a team. I, 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 didn't know that. I, didn't, I didn't know that. Who else is on that list? That's right. Jackson, I don't know who else is on that list. Let me pull it up real quick. I can, uh, I can find it. But that's interesting. Yeah. Well, and I think what's interesting, a lot of the guys are really recent. Like, when you, when you look at – you know, your career, there weren't guys doing that back in, in your day and age. I mean, no, no. And, and I, I laugh some 
time because people talk about, you know, this guy's almost, this guy's having a triple double, this guy was doing that. And I said, well, hell, I almost did it myself one time. So, you know, it's, it's uh, I don't mean in a disrespectful way. I just, I didn't, I, I just did it. I mean, I, I averaged nine, eight and eight and on a team with Hall of Famers like, you know, Bernard King and Moses Malone. And, you know, my job was to, and Jeff Malone, to pass the ball to those guys and get those guys shots. I wasn't a scoring first uh, point guard. I was a pass first point guard and a, and a defender and a rebounder. Yeah, so I've actually got the list up right now. Um, you know, there's a lot of modern guys on it. When you look at, uh, you know, LeBron, Luka Doncic, James Harden, uh, Ben Simmons did it. Russell Westbrook obviously did it when he averaged the triple double. Right. There's there's far fewer guys back in that day and age. MJ, Oscar Robertson, Wilt, Magic, um, Jason Kidd did it somewhere in between those those two right, right. Uh, you know, phases of the game. But it, it's pretty it's pretty rare air. No. And I always like to I always like to ask. Like it's the it's the obvious question of like the game has evolved and the game has changed. But when you were playing with those greats that a lot of people who watch basketball now really have only heard of as the game's greats and really don't understand the game that they played versus the game that we watch now when we watch NBA basketball. What's the biggest difference you see now in the pro game? And obviously we'll, we'll talk about your your current job being a coach now, but how, how has it changed so much to where you are now, um, still an observer, a teacher of the game. Um, what's the difference when you were learning the game then and playing the, the game with now you're teaching? The difference is the three-point line. The difference is the three-point line. Of course, the game was a lot more physical when I, when I played in the league. But I'm going to tell you something, and you guys need to do your homework on this. I, I think you guys should go back to the 80s and see what teams were averaging offensively. Uh, that's something you guys, I don't know if you can pull it up right now in the next five or six minutes, but you need to pull up in the 80s what teams were averaging. Uh, you think about the Denver Nuggets teams. You think about the Portland Trailblazers. You think about the uh, the L.A. Lakers. You're talking about you're talking about some high – we have some high-powered teams in the league, the Philadelphia 76ers. If you look their numbers up, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna see that guys were scoring, teams were scoring in the 80s. They were. Uh, the three-point line has changed the game. Uh you know, guys, when I came in the league, guys were shooting threes, but they didn't, they didn't shoot a lot. I mean, Larry Bird's one of the greatest shooters to play in the, in the, in the 80s. Did he take a lot of threes? I bet he didn't shoot over four games or less than that. I bet he didn't shoot over four games from the three-point line. So uh, the game has changed. Uh, uh, the rules are made for guys to score points, and I have no problem with that. Chris mentioned your coaching career. Um, you, know, you had – some head coaching stints with the Raptors and with the Wizards, some front office roles, an assistant gig with the Knicks, but you spent the last few years coaching in college. Um, what has that experience been like? Did you know from an early point in your career that you wanted to coach, coach college? What, what I, the journey? I never, I never knew I, I, I really wanted to coach. I mean, it's funny. I got a phone call from Isaiah Thomas on the golf course here in Little Rock about being assistant coach with the Toronto Raptors, and I told him he was crazy. He said. No, I think you'll be a, a, a really good coach, D-Walk. You should come and try it. I, I did that, and I must thank Isaiah for, for giving me a chance and, and pulling me into the coaching field. Uh, but uh, it's, it's, been, uh, it's, been, it's been a fun journey. You guys were regular season champions this year in the Sun Belt, and you were Sun Belt Coach of the Year. The turnaround for your program has been quick. And, I mean, I know that this season and the, and the situation – that we all ended up in and where we are now all sitting at home is, is just a, it's, it's a really, really hard pill to swallow when you have some momentum going 
and you're really building. But I, I did want to get your thoughts on just your team this year, the, the, the buy-in from your players, the progress you guys have made, and um, the excitement for the future. I and mean, you're, you're really still just getting started in that program. Yeah, we, we're just getting started. My first year, we were 10 and 20-something, 21, whatever we were. We weren't very good. And looking at my team and my roster, I just felt that even though we only won 10 games, didn't win a lot of games in the conference, I w- we, were in, we, were in, we were in a lot of games in the conference. I felt that we just weren't, weren't good enough, smart enough to, to close the game out, and we could have won more games. So I knew that we could win some basketball games, but I also knew that we had to, uh, we had to recruit some more players. And I told my staff that we had to have more length on our team, that I wanted to be big. Don't bring me anybody that's not my size or bigger. So uh, we're, if you look at our roster, we're, we're, we're the biggest team in the Sun Belt Conference and could be one of the biggest teams in the SEC if we were in the SEC because we got a lot of length on our basketball team. Uh, everybody brought in that summer, this past summer, about winning the conference and that we can win some games and get to the NCAA. And uh, just from looking at our talent and uh, – it was just a heck of a turnaround for it. Everybody brought into what we were doing offensively and defensively. I mean, my first year we gave up 70, almost 77 points a game. I knew we had to get better defensively. This, uh, this past season we gave up 69 points a game. So that's a, that was a big plus for us to, to take those numbers down and get better defensively, which helped us to win some basketball games. It was a fun year. Didn't get a chance to finish it out. I thought we would go to New Orleans and we only had to win two games. I thought we were playing well at the right time. We could have won two games and got to the tournament. Uh, but you had to have the safety for the kids. And was it disappointing? Oh, man, it was definitely disappointing to everyone. What was your message to the team, especially the seniors, in that moment when you guys all learned, we all learned that there's not going to be sports as a whole, but specifically for you guys, there's not going to be an NCAA tournament. There's not going to be. Well, well I, had one, I, had one, I had one senior that didn't play because he was hurt the whole year. So basically I didn't, I didn't really have any seniors. So I just told my guys, our motto is whenever the, the man above – uh, clears the air and gets things back to normal. Our motto is we have unfinished business. Number two, nobody can take away the season that you guys had. Uh, what we did from year one to year two is one of, the, one of the biggest turnarounds in college basketball this year. I said, you guys put the work in. Uh, you guys believed in me. I believed in you guys. Everybody brought into what we were going to do. It was all about the team, no individual stuff. I said, and you, we all are coming back next year, knock on wood. And I said, let me tell you something. We got some unfinished business, and we got to we got to go out and get ready to do this thing all over again. And try to get to the tournament. No doubt. So, in that time since, what how have you been spending the time? Is there is there work you're able to do to prep for next season? Is it is it is it R and R? What do you what are you doing to pass the time? What I've done, I've I've come in uh, every day about the last three or four weeks, and I've come in every day with one of my staff and my video guy, and I watch one game of our whole season, our past season, and I break down, I take some notes and maybe write some things down on the board, what we need to do next year and in practice and, and different things like that. So, matter of fact, I just, we just watched the last game uh, yesterday. And uh, sometimes I have a couple of my players in, they'll, they'll come in and we'll sit apart from each other. And I'll talk to them about the film and what's going on and break the film down again to those guys. So that's what I've been doing for the last three or four weeks is coming in watching one game a day of our past season. It's an interesting time because I, I know that there are so many things that we wish we could be doing. We wish we could be, you know, watching the NBA playoffs right now and, and having had, you know, a longer college season, but has it given you some time to kind of just take a, take a totally different perspective on your job as a coach and, and with your staff just to kind of find different ways to evaluate the game and, and take a step back? 
Well, we, we, we've just, I think, coming in and watching uh, film of our last 30 some games of the season, just all, all one game a day, uh, Monday through Friday. And then when I go home, I watch a lot of reruns, none of our games, but if any college basketball games are on for last season, which they are running all the time, I just watch and watch other teams and watch other coaches. So it's been a fun time. The downtime, I've, I've taken a lot of time of thinking about what I want to change offensively and the things I like defensively and just making a bunch of notes on my board and, and on some paper. and. It's been fun. I mean, of course, you want to be out evaluating talent, but you know, we were able to sign a couple of players, and uh, thank goodness we didn't have a, a turnover where we had to sign six or seven players. We only had to sign two guys, which was great, and we did that. And basically, our whole team is coming back, and uh, we'll just see if it if it clears up, man. It's it's one of these days where you just gotta you can't be in a rush. You gotta sit back and sit tight. But I know it's a lot of coaches. It's happy to have this downtime because they never get a chance to spend any time with their family. Hundred percent. Yeah. Well, so, no doubt. Well, Daryl, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we can wrap up with that. I think, like I mentioned, you are obviously able to to shed some light on some things that are very relevant right now. We always love to have former Bullets, former Wizards on here and, you know, talk about their experiences and what they've, they've done since. So um, this was great. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate you guys. Thank you. Thank you, Daryl. Take care. Bye-bye.